This is Jamie Cullum on Jazz Is Not What You Think. Welcome to another episode of Jazz Is Not What You Think. My guest this time around is UK's most successful jazz artist of all time. That's Jamie Cullum. I love to tell the story of how we got introduced. It was actually through Jamie's manager who was pitching my art director on one of Britain's best kept secrets at the time. My art director Dave picked up the phone in the art department because he was the only one in the office trying to meet a production deadline at 5 a.m. Of course, this was 10 a.m. England time. As soon as I walked in the office that day, Dave was waiting for me to pitch me on his discovery. And since, we've all become Jamie fans. Featured him so many times. He's been on our cover three times. Each a very interesting and colorful story and interview, which I'll take this time to say that you can read each one of them by becoming a subscriber to Jazz Is. As a subscriber, you get these lovely back issues by logging on to jazziz.com, J-A-Z-Z-I-Z.com. Or I love to tell the story when Jamie, proof of what a good laddie is, drove up from Miami to my club to do a show for Jazz Is in Boca after opening for Billy Joel. Be sure to like us, share us with friends, subscribe to our podcast, and even write a review so that we can keep these podcasts coming your way. For now, enjoy a conversation with Jamie Cullum. He's definitely on the edge of something great. us to uh, long distance sound like we're sitting next to each other which would have been nice yes that's very true especially it, it, where are you where are you in the world right now i am in boca raton florida oh so it's probably not miserable wet and cold like it is here it well it actually it looks like london it's raining out okay but, um, but it's it's 70 degrees Oh, okay, yeah. So it's 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 pretty. It's it's nowhere near, but uh, uh, that's fine. We're all we're all we get to wear nice big winter coats and have log fires and stuff. So that's all right. <laughs> well, well, thank you for. Uh, I understand you're coming out of the comforts of your studio, working that's on a right. new record. That's right. And I also wanted to thank you for uh, letting my editors pick your brain a few weeks back for our Sinatra Centennial issue, which uh, I love what you had to say. We'll talk about in a little bit. Sure. Um, well, I, I guess the best place to start is when I met you, I don't think you had yet turned 20. Huh. And, and so that was literally pre-20-something. And, you know, Jamie, what, what's always fascinated me is, is your balance between energy and calm. Hmm. Um, my, my, my ninth grade science teacher, a guy named Mr. Carr, used to make us recite a definition of the term homeostasis. He defined it as balance in the face of change. And he said, if we remembered that notion, we'll be just fine. And, and, and I guess aside from the literal sense, when you're jumping off the top of a Yamaha C7, how do you keep your balance? Um, I think it is in the the quest for uh, a reasonable level of musicianship. Um, I think one of the things that comes from being an appreciator of jazz, especially like a deep appreciator, you know, someone who really gets into it, whether you're a collector of the records, the music, you're a, a scholar of the music, you're a player, 
you're an improviser, you go to a lot of gigs, whatever, you realize how hard it is to get good at it. And um, it's not that I'm on stage thinking I'm good at it. In fact, quite the opposite. I know I'm a, um, you know, we're all, we're all a novice at that music. And uh, it, is a, it is a long journey and it's a journey that isn't over. I mean, it's over when, you, when, you're, when you're in the ground. Um, but uh, it is it is still something that is, is really is really indefinable. It's that it's that quest for musicianship. I think is is the thing that has always enabled me to to keep balance. You know, I've always been surrounded by musicians that I've I felt were far much further ahead than I. Uh, every gig is an opportunity to learn, not to make it sound boring, but I think when that kind of more showmanship element, the craziness, the madness that comes out from playing. Um, I'm brought back by that sense of the quest for for more musicality. Wow. Well, I mean, and that certainly addresses you as a singer, songwriter, piano player. And, and but what some are realizing that that's really a starting point for you when you add that you're also a DJ, radio personality. We'll get into a little bit later. You're now a magazine publisher. You're, you're you're stepping on my turf there. Uh, you're a, 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 a critic, a tastemaker, a live music promoter. And of course, I've seen this quote everywhere, the most successful UK jazz artist ever. Now, if you looked at your credentials there, it could be misconstrued as ADHD. But I, I, sense, <laughs> I, I sense a razor sharp focus when you work on something. Yes, I think... Um, uh, I'm definitely not, I'm not a workaholic. Um, I don't always need to be working. I'm, I'm very, I'm not, you know, people say they go on holiday and they can't switch off. I, I can switch off, I can switch off easily. Um, and I love to switch off. I love to do, I love to be lazy. I love to uh, um, prat around in the garden and, you know, just hang out and go to the pub and do, do stuff like that. But I guess when um, my wife uh, took phrase from someone else which she said I don't really have hobbies and of course in my head I have tons of hobbies but I guess I take them all quite seriously I need I need to get into the detail of things if I'm going to do it so um but also you see all those things they really they don't feel separate um and you know particularly if we if we go to the radio thing first I was you know being a being a presenter and and uh curating music and putting it on the radio and bringing these live sessions together it's uh i was that before i was a musician and i became a musician because of my appreciation for music i wanted to to play the things i was listening to and that that may sound obvious but i, I didn't start out as some child prodigy or anyone with the major kind of talent for music in fact you know i was definitely not not a musician at school i became before that the the guy who would make mixtapes for people and would collect records and would know who all the bands were, know who the drummer was, know, know what the first record of the band who just got signed to a major label was, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I was the uh, music appreciated. So in a lot of ways, being on the radio is just an extension of that. Um, the magazine publishing is, is really, you know, I made this magazine called The 88. And again, I got into music through an appreciation for film and literature and stories, you know, the beat poets, um, uh, you know, film noir, Woody Allen films, uh, French New Wave cinema, I got into that stuff and that was a real route into jazz for me as much as 
reading books about that era were, you know, as I said, the Beat Poets or James Baldwin or all those kind of people. And it allows me to stay focused because actually, you know, creativity is this big, wide bubble, isn't it? And, you know, like, like yourself, I think a, a lot of, uh, you know, many creative people do many creative things. Um, and I guess I allow myself the opportunity to fail at them. So I just kind of do them and, uh, you know, assume that it's maybe not going to work out. And if it does, then that's not the worst thing in the world. But if, if it doesn't, then it's not the worst thing in the world. But if it does, then, you know, maybe it's an opportunity to do it again. And that was really always what my music career was about. It's like, well, let's see how long I can do this for. And that's kind of the, the way I still operate, really. That's great. Well, you know, the, um, the, the, I don't want to talk about me, but the, the Hulk mixtape concept, you know, when, when you, on your album Pursuit, um, hearing you sing about the mixture of, you know, Marcy and, and Coltrane and Nine Inch Nails, and uh, that, that really struck a chord with me because I started mm. Jazzy's Magazine because I used to make mixtapes for friends for music they'd never heard of. And invariably, right. they would come to me and say, Michael, that tape you made me, this is back in the tape era, that tape you made me, I listen to in my car all the time. It's, it's my favorite thing that I listen to, and I've never heard of any of those artists before that tape. Yeah. And then I said, well, there has to be a, a model here, a business here, if you would. And that's how we created Jazz's Magazine with a compilation CD to turn now a bigger group of friends onto music yeah. that some they've heard of, and it may be a popular name, and what they really like is what they hadn't heard of, and why haven't they heard of that artist? I think the, the important thing is with what you're doing there is that you're, you're leading them in with a friendly face and then exposing them to all these, this, this, this strangeness that actually is really going to delight them. And, you know, I had kind of, I guess, music mentors growing up, not only my older brother, Ben, who, you know, I've talked a lot about, but also, you know, kids at school who had what I considered superior and deeper musical knowledge and you know, whenever I meet another musician, you know, you always talk about what you're listening to or, you know, just a fellow music appreciator. And in some ways that's got easier now in the internet world, um, but also harder because there's just so much noise to, to filter through. So, you know, curators like, uh, you know, like jazz is, are, actually, are actually getting more important. You know, if, if the print business is, is shrinking, the curation business is only, it's purely more important to, if you want to hear anything that's good. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I really enjoyed In the Mind of Jamie Cullen back, I guess, what is it, almost 10 years ago. Um, mm. did, you didn't do any more of those, or are you planning on doing any more of those? Because I do, I have noticed that music listeners are very interested in what artists are listening to. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I am, you know, obviously doing, doing the radio show kind of week in, week out. In, in some ways, it feels like I'm doing that every week, and now I have to really solidify my, you know, what I'm listening to at all times. I, I, mm -hmm. If I listen to something, it's not just, oh, I love that and I'm going to listen to that tomorrow. It's like, oh, maybe I could fit it into the radio show. It's not quite jazz, but I can find a way to segue into it. You know, maybe, maybe there's a route through if I play some of that, you know, German 70s psych rock jazz stuff that I like. Maybe there's a way of leading into this. You know, it's kind of joining, joining the dots. So in a funny way, the radio show fe feels like that. And in some ways, my live show, you know, because I touch on quite a few, 
you know, genres in order to get to a place where I can play something that comes from more of a hip hop or pop or, or rock place even, you know, you have to, you have to lead audiences a little bit through, through that journey to kind of, to kind of take them on that journey. Um, but I am hoping to make another compilation with a, uh, a great uh, a compilation people called Late Night Tales. Sure. And they've uh, approached me about doing one which, um, it's a real, uh, it's a real uh, amazing, the, you know, the people that have done those compilations are, are really epic. So I've been storing some super secret discoveries um, <laughs> ready for that that uh, uh, we'll, I'll hopefully work on next year. But really, really, some really deep stuff that uh, is, is barely out there, not even on YouTube. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, um, speaking about your radio show, you know, I, it's, it's also something that I'm, I'm fascinated with. I enjoy it. I, I actually, you know, I think I know a little bit about jazz. I learn things from your show. Um, you know, <laughs> the last show you, you had, the most recent one that I've listened to, you had everything from Fats Waller to Jack Costanza to The Comet is Coming and, and you know, label mates like Robert Glasper and Leon Thomas and, and experimental music. And what I really loved is... I'm, in the mix, you also invite musicians to send in their demos. Yeah. Well, I, you see, I think that the really interesting thing with the jazz world is that, um, you know, in, in some ways, so much of it is undiscovered. You know, some of the best musicians are the ones you've never heard of. And, you know, obviously I spend a lot of time in the pop and rock world as well, and often you find that the, a lot of the undiscovered bands are very underdeveloped and they've, they've got work to do. And, of, of course, that's the same in jazz, but... I think if you're an improviser, you, you can already be at a certain level, but just because there there aren't as many platforms for those types of bands to be heard. Certainly in the UK, certainly on you know a big radio station like Radio Two. So, um, you know, obviously th there are kind of more boutiquey type radio stations to be on. There are uh, essentially cooler radio stations to be on. But actually, what I think is super cool is is getting this uh, uh, pretty left music in a lot of a lot of ways and sucking in part of this 10, 15 million strong audience to hear some of that stuff and maybe be turned on by it. And it's become a major, major love. And, you know, I, I know that obviously it's, it's a love of yours as well. Turning people on to stuff is, uh, is serious. It's, a, it's an addiction, you know, it's, it's really a drug. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you as an artist, you know, the, the, you're sometimes thought of as, as a jazz artist but with a rock mindset. I mean, and even to go back to, I mentioned your, your help and contribution to this uh, Sinatra Centennial issue. You said, and I quote, the epitome of rock and roll attitude is to follow your own muse. As an artist, it seems as if your muse drives against traffic. And, and I guess to continue with that metaphor in doing so, you avoid getting stuck in it. And two examples that I can think of is, is as you experiment with all these different kind of musics, you take a turn and you do a jazz record on Blue Note. Um, huh. In the digital age that we're in today where everyone's doing things online, you launch a beautiful, wonderful paper stock, beautiful imagery, print publication. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think some people call it perverse, wouldn't they? Um, <laughs> I, you know, all I can say is that I, I don't really, I don't really op operate with a master's plan. I'm, re I'm, I'm really an opportunist. Um, I just try to kind of get on with doing good stuff and, and, um, 
I guess over the years I've learned to trust just being creative and just, you know, if you feel like things aren't going your way, just kind of invent something new, just work on something new and, you know, things kind of fall in place around it. And, you know, I just put out what was essentially like a big kind of pop record with a lot of jazz influences, but nonetheless, you would probably categorize it more as a pop record. And while I was putting that together, I, I met this great guy who was part of a, a group of musicians called Nostalgia 77 that I, I really loved. And we just, he's called Ben Lambden, and we just, I don't know, we just really hit it off and we made this record, uh, Interlude, the jazz record you're referring to, um, in like three or four days. And that was even before Momentum came out. And really it was, it was, it really, it flew in the face of what I was doing with my, my other record, but um, it just felt like a, a great moment to make something like that. And uh, I, I didn't even contemplate it like that. And again, the same with the, the magazine, it was... Um, you know, we were talking about merch and selling things on tour. I'm like, God, I'm so fed up with selling T-shirts that I wouldn't wear and a tour <laughs> program that I wouldn't want. Do you know, do, do you know what I mean? And I know sure, that sure. this is what the people want and they want a T-shirt with your face and they want a tour program with just pictures of you on tour. And I think, well, can't we make something more interesting? I love magazines. Let's, let's make a magazine. Let's take the tour. You know, you get a tour advance for merch when you, you, you kind of mount a big tour. A merch company will say, okay, here's X amount of money to produce tour merch and then you sell it and then, you know, profit, we'll share the profits. And it's a bit like how a record deal works. And right. I just thought, well, why don't we use that to make a magazine? I know, you know, my wife's a writer. My, my best friend's a playwright. He's married to a great writer. That, that's enough for, you know, I love writing. Let's, let's just pool our resources and put something together. And, you know, the lady that, um, that I went to school with who designed my first album cover, we just, we just made it um, and thought about, the, thought about the consequences of afterwards. And in some ways, I think that's the secret of doing stuff, really, isn't it? It's if you worry about what it's going to be in your bottom line straight away, uh, you might get held up. And obviously, in some ways, in a luxurious place to be able to think like that. But I thought about that, I think, before, before I had um, the, the ability to make it happen mon monetarily, because I think I was surrounded by people that just did stuff for their own pleasure. I made it. And made it work after the fact, and you know, really, that's that's what artists are supposed to do, isn't it? I guess. Sure, and and, and I love the 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 uh, slogan, the adventurous magazine for the occasional thinker. Um, yes, <laughs> but but well, the first one was the occasional magazine for the adventurous thinker, so we we flipped <laughs> it around for this one. <laughs> that's good. The uh, but but I, I also you know I also think it, is it a way that you know it's a it's a wonderful way for you and Sophie to collaborate on something that is artistic and business and and when you do it together it makes it more interesting more fun and how does that yeah. work absolutely it, it is um and i think if you know if we continue with it and i hope we do uh, that that part of it will grow because i guess we do you know because we both love to write you know my, my wife is, is, a, is a is a great writer and someone who consumes a lot of great writing she she's read more than any university graduate i've ever met there's someone finish school wow. um and she um you know so a lot, of, a lot of our conversations apart from about our kids and what we're going to eat and you know where we're going to go dancing is uh, it's <laughs> about you know pieces that we've read or, or stories that we've read or writers that we like and the same with my um my best friend uh, uh duncan and, and his wife you know there's there is a, not to make our conversations sound highbrow because normally they're not but um we do love to consume you know good writing it's just something that we're into so it was, it felt like a natural thing to, to put together. And 
I hope that it can grow. You know, in terms of, I, I love the way that you use the word business because, I mean, it was, it's literally, it, in terms of a business, it does everything that a business shouldn't do. You know, it, it only loses money. Um, but it, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's so expensive to produce, as you know. I'm an expert um, at that business, by the way. <laughs> especially on the kind of paper stock I want to do on the kind of printing and the kind of colors and you know sure. the way I want it to feel but um you know that's um that's not foremost in in in, in my mind for now and you know I I think it's my job in some ways having had some success as a as a musician and and you know that I'm not buying sports cars really I'm uh, not, not not that I could necessarily, but I guess if when I make profit as a musician or in concerts, that that is the kind of way I like to use uh, use any profit that I've made to kind of make make stuff like that happen, which is is, is a great pleasure. Oh, me too. And and before I forget, uh, listeners, you can go to jamiecullum.com. You can actually buy it right on the website. It is an absolutely. I'm plugging you here, Jamie. It's an absolutely <laughs> beautiful coffee table item. Uh, paper stock is better than jazz is. I'm a little bit embarrassed, uh, but it, it's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful piece. Uh, very well put together, uh, you know, and and you got to check it out. Oh, and um, so much. Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, you, had, I had read somewhere about an embarrassing wardrobe malfunction at P Diddy's mansion. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but um, but I was going to ask you if if you improved your sock collection. I've definitely improved my sock collection. Well, I mean, the, 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 I should explain that uh, if you want to know the story, although you, you can't get hold of the 88 version one, sadly. Volume one is entirely sold. I only have, I have the two remaining copies in my, in my, in my uh, studio at home. But um, uh, basically, it was when I was working with Pharrell after I did the front end cover. I went to Miami to work with Pharrell. And uh, it was all amazing. But I was, I was grossly, I kind of underprepared for the levels of kind of swag and... Uh, and uh, 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 gla- glamour that I was surrounded by, and we'd been working in the studio, and then there was there was to be a party that night at Diddy's Mansion in Miami, um, and I'm like, okay, great. So we all said goodbye at the studio, said let's meet up later and go to this party. And I thought, what I need is the greatest pair of trainers. This, the reason I told the story in the magazine is because I wrote a whole story about my my obsession with shoes and sneakers, particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went out, I trawled Miami for these beautiful pair of gold Nikes, and I, I found them. And uh, uh, we, uh, uh, we got in this big car and went to, went to uh, Diddy's mansion, and I had these gold Nikes on, I was feeling pretty good. And uh, we got there, and it, it turned out it wasn't like a kind of banging kind of, you know, MTV-style party. It was actually a small dinner party. And not only that, the policy for the house was shoes off. So I took my amazing gold Nike shoes off at the door, and... Sadly, I was wearing um, Christmas Bart Simpson socks. Um, very terrible, loud Bart Simpson Christmas socks with a, a hole in the toe. Um, so, in fact, I was walking around um, Diddy's house uh, wearing Bart Simpson socks um, that were really not, not pleasant at all. So, um, in, in case you were hoping the wardrobe malfunction was my, my bum hanging out or something, I'm afraid it's not quite that, uh, quite that amazing. But there was, there was definitely a, a, a poor sock moment. But... I've since made up for that. Now I have a, a pretty sick sock collection. Because sick socks are big now. I mean, it, it, yeah, people, you're right. People will sometimes look at your socks and go, "Where did you get those?" I, I, this, the I'm shoe collection a... and the sock collection has only grown. So, um, and England is a great place to get socks as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> switching gears, Clint Eastwood. Um, he, I heard, I read somewhere that he said about you, 
We need guys like him who bring energy and irreverence to old forms. Um, very interesting because one of the things that I'm seeing being in the jazz world for 35 years is that our audience is getting older and we need to turn on a, a younger generation and they are typically more inspired, at least their introduction to jazz, by younger energetic players like yourself. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I feel, you know, in, in this regard um, that, um, you know, it always makes me nervous kind of talk about this stuff because I have, you know, I, I've always considered myself, you know, a jazz musician of my bones, but really, you know, I'm, I'm, I really, I come at this as a, as a, as a pop rock kind of as a, as a more of a kind of broad, broad musician. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to kind of compare myself to people who absolutely dedicate themselves to the art of improvising, which is, which is a, such a, you know, an undeniable kind of gift and gift to the world and all those kind of things. But, you know, I, I don't, I don't put it this way. I don't see it the way Clint does because Clint doesn't hang out in the places that I do in London where, there are young people dripping from the roofs, you know, <laughs> hearing, you know, hearing DJs dropping, you know, jazz tunes in and, you know, seeing bands, you know, it's not mainstream. It's never going to be mainstream. That's not the point. But you go to, you go to Ronnie Scott's and see, you know, Chris Dave and Robert Glasper and, you know, not only is the audience young, but it's full of hot girls as well. <laughs> um, you know, you go and see Esperanza Spalding at the, at the Barbican there, you know, there are not only young people, but there are a lot of young musicians there wanting to check out what she does. You know, I, I saw Keith Jarrett recently at the Royal Festival Hall. It was full of young people, you know, and his showmanship is obviously it's such a different kind of showmanship to what I'm doing. And, you know, you, you, obviously very different types of musicians. But I think, yes, in some ways it's getting older, but it, obviously it's getting older because, um, you know, there are certain types of venues where young people just wouldn't go because they can't afford it. But there are certain venues here in London, in Brixton, where it's, you know, it's four or five pounds to get in. The music doesn't start till one in the morning. You know, what used to be smalls in, 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 in New York, for example, I know there's, there is, you know, there's still a lot of young people going there. A lot of them tend to be musicians, but it, it, is, it is happening, I think. And I think there is, there is hope. And I don't think it's, it, it, it stops and starts with someone like me who comes at it from a pop angle, I think. You know, it can exist with people that are more focused on the world of improvising and instrumental music and, you know, more from the jazz tradition. Um, so, you know, I kind of defend a different hear that. And obviously it's a great compliment for me to hear that from someone like Clint. But is he making films and being, you know, the biggest, most important kind of movie star in the world? He's not necessarily kind of trawling the streets of, of East London or, 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 or Brooklyn or Williamsburg at kind of three o'clock in the morning and finding these places that are, are keeping that underground thing going. Sure, sure. Um, I think, speaking of Clint, um, did, he, did he ever get you into doing more movie music? Well, uh, I, you know, I hope we, we have talked and there is, uh, um, it is not out of the question, that's for sure. He's some, you know, his operation is very, very slick and, you blink and he's made another movie, quite frankly. So, um, but uh, we have we have talked about it, and not only that, we talked about him doing a concert film for me as well. So, hopefully, there'll be another collaboration in the future. Well, let, let me talk about family. How have your kids, Lyra and Margot, changed you? Um, you know, in in kind of in every way possible, I think, um, because it 
you know, your focus changes, obviously, and very hard not to lapse into cliche here, but your, your focus changes so profoundly. Um, it hasn't mean, meant that I'm less focused on, on music. In fact, if anything, I feel a greater urgency and a greater excitement with it because you, you start to see the, the world through the eyes of, 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 of a youngster and you see things for the first time because you're introducing them to things for the first time, you know. Um, you know, I took my, my eldest one, which is, it's actually, it's, it's lyra is the way you lyra. pronounce it, like, a, like the old string instrument. And um, oh, you, um, you, uh, uh, you know, I just took her into London. Um, we live outside of London, we live in the country, and, you know, the busiest part of London we were, we were going to this, this great science museum. And when you're seeing her kind of eyes light up, you know, we were in New York for the first time, we took, we, we, when they came on tour with me earlier this year, and, um, just experiencing all that with them for the first time and seeing the steam coming out of the, the pavement and the, the, the skyscrapers and the lights and, you know, you do, you, you, that's very infectious and, you know, if you're creating stuff for a living, if your, your job is to create stuff, you need to look at the world through fresh eyes all the time and see different angles and your kids really help you do that. Um, yeah. And so that, that's not so much a change but that's, that's one of the things that, People talk about the pram and the hallway being a being a real thing that stops you from creating. And you know, I, I, I don't I don't feel like I've really don't feel like I've found that yet. Um, uh, maybe it's not in my nature to kind of see things necessarily kind of negatively like that. But uh, it is obviously extremely tiring and very challenging to do it right. You know, there's yes. so many ways you just do it wrong all the time, even if you're getting it right. Um, but uh, it's no, a major challenge. And yeah, and there's no handbook. You know, there's no handbook, and if you know whatever handbook there is, is wrong anyway. Because every, every child is different. Um, so, um, and they're I, what uh, three, three and six, or somewhere around there, right? No, that that well, that they'll be um, uh, three and five in March next year. So they're currently two and four, um, ah. but they're the tail end, two and four. So, but they're 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 amazing. They're 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 you know they're brilliant, brilliant yes. human beings. They're very very funny and very characterful and. Kind of loud and and kind of rambunctious and and uh, um, they're very they're quite tomboyish and and they spend a lot of time outside in the rain, kind of throwing mud around. They're they're brilliant. Well, two two of my youngest of my five kids are the same yeah. age, same ages as yours, and yeah. you're right, it's tiring and and but you know it's all I I, t I tell people this all the time. They it, it's my greatest accomplishment. Uh, and, gotcha. and yeah. So do, they don't have a clue who their parents are, do they? Outside of the uh, no, not 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 really. And I, you know, I, I guess I haven't even thought about it really because, um, you know, we we don't really neither myself or or Sophie we don't really live our lives in a way where they where they would need to know. You know, they know mm -hmm. Daddy goes to work and plays the piano, or Daddy goes to work and is on the radio, and. Mummy does stuff with magazines and photographers, and she writes books, and you know that's that's their that's their thing, and um, you know all they know is that I'm really you know, they can really appreciate at this stage that I'm I'm not home if I'm if I'm out, right. and that's the most important thing. But I don't feel as though it's something we need to explain to them necessarily because uh, um, it, it is uh, that we don't live our lives in a way we're not kind of we don't have photographers following us around and we you know we don't live in London we don't live in a place where 
you know, our kids go to the local school and our friends are pretty much the same friends we've had for many years who are starting kids now as well. And, and um, so it's, uh, it doesn't really seem necessary for that to be a thing. Is that, is that why you moved out of London to have more of a quote unquote normal life? No, I grew up. I grew up. I grew up in the countryside, really. So it's just, it's just more of a kind of a natural place. It's, it's, it's more of a natural habitat for me to be to kind of ride bikes and you know mow the lawn and and I don't know, just I'm some, I'm a country boy at heart. As yeah, a um, as a lifestyle, as a musician, you know, I'm in cities all the time. I get, I get a lot of that from my my work time sure. anyway. So. It wasn't kind of um, a, a, a kind of comment on how I wanted a specific idea to raise my kids. It was just something that, you know, that's kind of how I grew up and kind of as I got a bit older, I just looked to reflect that with my kind of childhood experience, I guess. Yeah, that's great. Well, truth be told, I, I, I live out in the country too. I, I, I think it's great to raise kids. Uh, we have property and they run around and, and see kids happy. There's, a, there's that, um, what's that quote, something along the lines of... Uh, you can tell when you have good parents when the kids are happy, and uh, yes, <laughs> and so uh, I, I love seeing happy kids. It sounds like you have two very happy well, they kids. Yeah, they definitely moments of happiness. They are like all kids and have moments where they go completely mental. Um, yeah. Normally, when exactly when you don't want them to, but I mean that's you know an airport queue or something like that. But uh, it's um, it's it's great. It's 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 a, it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's great to hear. Well, uh, you know one of the things that you alluded to earlier um, is that on your time off, on your limited time off, you, you like to blow off steam. You become a dancing machine when you're out with Sophie. Um, what else do you like to do when you just want to blow off steam? Um, you know, I, th I think you know, being being a, a, a you know someone when you have kind of quite an all-consuming kind of career that often takes you away. I think kind of tending friendships like a, like a kind of uh, allotment or something is pretty important. So I've tried to put more energy kind of back into my friendships and my kind of relationships and stuff of recent. So I, I do a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of kind of cooking and, and things like that and having kind of friends over and, and things like that. But, you know, I love, I love, I've always loved riding bikes, you know, uh, motorbikes and bicycles. Um, I don't really ride the motorbike so much anymore, but I do a, a, a lot of, Cycling. I occasionally play a bit of uh, five-a-side football with my friends. Wow. Play a bit of tennis with my brother. Um, you know, walking the dog. Uh, what kind of dog you know, do you have? Think, uh, it's just a mutt, uh, a rescue dog um, that is, uh, you know, a, a, an indefinable breed. Um, Zach, she's, Zachy she's, just bought our, a dog. It's the first dog I've ever had in my life. Yeah, amazing. And how do you feel? How do you feel about it? Um, well, in the beginning, I was I was not happy, but the, yeah. <laughs> and, and one of the reasons I didn't want a dog is because of what happened. I actually fell in love with the dog. Now I love the ah, dog. Gotcha. And, there it is. And it's like having a wild animal in the house, though, isn't it? It's the funny thing, you know. Just that it really they really are animals in your yeah. house, which is what's amazing about them. Which is the, the sort of the paradox of terms: domesticated animal. Well, uh, but, absolutely. I, I don't know whether you've I don't know whether you've read and I I must I've I've actually got a gig to play in about forty five minutes but I want to read you this quote from this book I just read sure. that I wrote down about dogs which is is really funny I don't know whether you've read it it's the um it's the new um book by that guy Jonathan Franzen it's called oh, yeah. Purity and no, I haven't read it. there's there's some there's some very very 
very, 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 here we go. Dogs had it right. They didn't trouble themselves with mysteries that could never be solved anyway. I think that's a, I really, I really <laughs> like that. Just the awareness. There's no point. You can't solve any of this stuff. So, you know, don't trouble yourself with it. Well, that's, that's a great quote. Um, really, I know you have to go to a gig. Thanks so much. I, I actually wanted to define since to kind of distill what I and who I think Jamie Collum is. I, I see you as one of the world's greatest champions for exploring creativity. Um, I love what you do. Um, we, your fans and I, as a fan, appreciate what you do and keep doing it. Um, as a magazine publisher, you know, I, I, I've always exploited the names of your songs, your influences, your album titles mm-hmm. to somehow not necessarily label you, but I guess I can close by saying you're indeed on the edge of something great. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Just so, so kind. Thank you for your support. And I hope uh, we will all uh, be together soon. Look forward to it, Jamie. Thanks again. Hey, thank you. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Be well. Bye-bye.